brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, people, welcome to the ride as we swing back into practical yet largely unknown areas of health and wellness. Because you can't navigate the rough waters of the vast conspiracy without first taking care of you and yours. And whether by design, ignorance, arrogance, profit, or some sad combination of the lot, the people we would typically look to for health-related guidance in our society are over-prescribing petrochemicals and quick to jump to expensive, invasive surgeries, all while ignoring some of the foundational aspects of a healthy person, like diet, sunlight exposure, and the topic of the day, optimum hydration. Because we hear from so many guests that we should avoid sugar or carbs, but rarely does optimizing the water levels and water sources of our mainly water bodies ever really come into play. And as today's guest often states, the old government-sponsored recommendation of eight glasses a day is not the way, and what she brings to the table is actually a bit different than what you might expect. In fact, today's guest, Dr. Dana Cohen, complimented THC on our interview with Dr. Gerald Pollack on the fourth phase of water, also known as EZ or structured water, and mentioned that she incorporated Dr. Pollock's work, as well as some other new and intriguing water science, into her new book, Quench, Beat Fatigue, Drop Weight, and Heal Your Body Through the New Science of Optimum Hydration, a book she co-authored with Gina Bria, an accomplished anthropologist who is an expert on hydration strategies around the world and the head of the Hydration Foundation, a primary source for information on hydration and the science of structured water. And while Gina brought the study of people and various indigenous practices to the table, Dr. Cohen contributed by offering many case studies from her general practice that show the shocking power of proper hydration for people dealing with a whole range of issues. Dr. Cohen has been in practice for over 15 years, trained under the late Dr. Robert Atkins, and is held in high regard by both peers and patients for her nuanced practice of integrative medicine. Her passion for integrative medicine stems from her belief that medicine is an art and a patient-centered, holistic approach is the vital first step on the path to overall health and wellness. Dr. Cohen's practice emphasizes the individual and she has helped countless patients limit their dependence on prescription medications, 
by harnessing the power of diet, nutritional supplementation, and lifestyle changes to find health. So at a time when water supplies around the country are in piss-poor shape and plastic water bottles are offered up as a backward solution, we pick up where we left off with Dr. Pollock's exciting science of structured water and dive deeper into real-world life advice around high-quality hydration. So let's do it. One of the wonder women of water and a pioneer of personal hydration education and the first guest I've booked through Instagram. Dr. Dana, welcome to the higher side. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is my coming out party. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm really psyched about this one. We cover a lot of wild and crazy stuff around here, but structured water has really intrigued me and it seems like a lot of the audience would agree. But the most common comment I would get when it comes up is, hey, this is awesome information, but how do I use it? And that's exactly what your book is about. And you even have an endorsement from Dr. Pollock himself on the back of the book where he says, Quench will set the standard for understanding the life-giving issue of keeping hydrated. And that's high praise from someone I definitely respect a lot. Yeah. But I guess one place to start would be to ask you how you stumbled upon this science of structured water, because as crucial as it is, it doesn't seem to be on a lot of people's radar, even still. Good question. So I guess almost five years ago now, I get a phone call from Gina Bria, my co-author, and I think a friend or a patient I had had told her, she runs something called the Hydration Foundation, and had told her about me, and she called and asked to come speak to me, and it was a vague hydration concept. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, here it goes. She's going to give me some multi-level marketing water purifier, <laughs> Ginsu yeah. knife, Ponzi scheme. But I, I remember thinking, you know what? She sounds really nice. Let me hear what she has to say. So she comes in, and she is sitting in front of me, and she looks at me, and she says, so I've been researching how desert people hydrate. And she said, I think I made a connection between my mother, who was in a nursing home. And what had happened was her mother had required many visits to the emergency room for severe dehydration, requiring IV fluids. And then she remembered the research she had read about the Tarahumara tribe of Mexico. And these are these elite distance runners. And they would use chia frescas, basically chia-infused water, to hydrate. And they would run 50-mile marathons on that. And so she had the nurses put chia seeds in her mother's morning juice, and never again did her mother have to go to the hospital for dehydration. And so she uh, she opens her bag, she pulls out a chia-infused smoothie and sits in front of me, and she says, the question I have is, do you think that we can hydrate through food? And I remember saying to her, oh my God, Gina, I've actually been practicing 20 years, and I said, I've always been searching for my book, and I just didn't want to write another book on hormones or thyroid or something where you have to go see your doctor. I really wanted to affect so many people, and I've known that this chronic low-grade dehydration affects so many of us. And I said, do you want to write this book? And she wasn't even expect like, this is not where this was going to go. She wanted just information for her foundation, and so that was the start of it. So we, we decided to write the book together, and then we really dove into the research. And she had told me about the research of Dr. Pollock and this gel water. And I remember my mind was blown thinking, we all know that water exists as liquid ice and vapor, but now there's this other phase of water. <laughs> and it was just when you think we know everything about medicine and our bodies, 
we don't, we know nothing. And mm-hmm. so she blew me away. And so then we really dove into that research and come to find out water, the simplest molecule in the world, is unbelievably complicated. And I remember a year in, I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? This is so beyond my, I'm not a water researcher. And come to find out there are so many water researchers and and not all of them agree, <laughs> but they all do agree that there is another phase of water. And so we looked at Dr. Pollock's research and then and then incorporated and the book was born from there. Awesome. That is a great setup. And it is so interesting that you would think that water would be one of the most studied things ever. And I guess the aha moment for me is when Dr. Pollock kind of broke down that water molecules are studied a lot, but they're often studied in isolation. And so you don't get the study of the communal relationship between water molecules. And that's where a lot of this stuff comes into play, right? Exactly. Exactly. How literally how water structures, how they layer upon each other and what happens with them is really fascinating. It's interesting. I was actually thinking about, gosh, should I put off this this talk that we're having? Because in October, I'm going, first time I'm going to the water conference, which is in Germany this year. And I'm thinking, I bet I'm going to have so much more information then, but we'll do a, I'll catch you up after that. (laughs) Yes, I actually wanted to attend that myself, but the international ones, you know, I got a long list of conferences and those international ones are just, I mean, they're hard to get to. It's a dedication, but the way we've been looking at water science, I guess, or the way it's been studied is like, trying to learn how to build a building by studying one brick. Yeah. You know, it's the relationship on how these things fit together that builds the overall structure, and our body's mostly water. So, obviously, this is crucial. It's really crucial. And, you know, from my standpoint, I'm a clinician. I'm not a researcher. And so, when, like I said, when I was started to dive into this stuff, I was literally completely overwhelmed and wanting to say, like, I can't do this. I can't give this kind of information. And what's even more interesting from the clinical standpoint, we can't even measure low-grade or subclinical dehydration in humans. There's no great ways. I mean, we have some ideas, but there's no test. There's no test to look at, well, what's your perfect optimal hydration point. When you look at the book that we wrote, it's really based on, you know, how you feel, what feels great. And then in my talking to patients and really, really looking at that from my clinical standpoint. But yeah, there's so much we don't know. It's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And I did want to ask you a little bit about your career overall. As you said, you've been at it for 20 years and your bio, of course, mentions integrative medicine and this holistic approach you've adopted as opposed to popping a petro pill for everything which is another thing I wish more doctors were doing. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. But what is it about the medical structure we have that has everything so backwards, in your opinion? Is it the education a doctor receives? Is it the insurance companies, the influence of pharmaceutical reps? Why do we, how do we get in this mess? Yes, to all of those. And I'm very fortunate. I you know, took a chance and right out of residency, which by the way, I was already $200,000 in debt and miserable. And so I can't turn back at that point, you know, hating what I've chosen. Having always wanted to be a doctor from the age of three, never wavered. Now I'm finishing up residency, not very happy in my chosen primary care career, and was so fortunate and lucky to have 
literally saw an ad for a world-renowned wellness center in New York City looking for a doctor, and it was Dr. Atkins. And so I came right out of residency working for him and right into a completely different model. So I've never taken insurance in my practice. I've never had a practice where I have to see six or eight patients an hour. So I'm not the best person to answer that question because I've never been in it. But I still think, and even in my model, like my model is constantly changing. The one-on-one medicine of what I'm doing is still not working. We need a community to heal somebody. So, you know, we're still searching for it. And even I think my model is still one of the best, but it's still not there. So we're looking at health coaches and communities and maybe group visits and how can we get the most that people can afford to see, you know, most integrative medical doctors don't take insurance. It's still not ideal. But yes, the education that doctors receive, we all, I'm assuming your crowd all knows that I had two weeks of nutrition. Mm -hmm. And that was basically, here's what your B vitamins do to your body. Here's what vitamin C does. And that's kind of about it. More biochemistry, but not even enough biochemistry. So the schooling and then the insurance companies, they're a mess. It's such a mess. So I wish I had better answers for you, but I think it's changing. I think there is a movement. This movement with using health coaches and group visits is happening and communities and even online groups of how can we get this information out there to the masses. One of the reasons I wrote the book, and I'm sure you agree, the book is very simple. It, it is written for the masses to read. It's I also always, even with my patients, take into account, well, what can they afford? You know, we talk about a blender in the book. The blender, I think I even go so far as to say, go buy a $5 blender, a used blender in a thrift store. You know, whatever it takes, it doesn't have to be a $400 Vitamix blender. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great overall answer. And I always like to get a little context for how a person ended up where they are. And it's great that you found a path forward that you didn't have to completely give up on all the education you had amassed and obviously the debt that comes with it, but you can also be proud of what you're doing. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And yeah, you know, you hear about all these new drugs and the side effects just seem to be as severe or worse than what they treat. And people are faced with these one-sided trade-offs on their health. But if you get into your diet, hydration, and sun exposure, you get all those things right there really is no side effect. It's just good for you. And in that sense, it does seem like miracle medicine when compared to the best efforts of big pharma. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. You talk about side effects of medications and, you know, my first patients always ask, well, and some patients come in and they're not really even sure why they're seeing me. And, you know, what is your philosophy? And my first philosophy is to try to keep people off of medications using diet and nutrition. It's such a, a line I use almost, you know, 10 times a day. <laughs> so the more we learn about how medications are out there and what they're doing, I work a lot with anxiety patients and especially my, my practice is mostly women in uh, their perimenopause and menopausal age. And there's, there is a lot of anxiety there. Hmm. It's so easy to write a prescription and what they're being put on and not really understanding what they're taking and what they're doing. And the beauty of, how do I say this, lowering inflammation with diet and nutrition is so far a greater way to go. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, there's just no comparison. Well, I'm with you. And let's define optimum hydration early on here because we're really not talking about just 
drinking more water, as you say, eight glasses a day is not the way. Well, what is the way? What do you consider the principles of proper hydration? Well, it's hard. Like, so as I said earlier, it's, we can't measure it. I wish there was one test that we could measure it. There's a couple things out there. There's a like body impedance analysis that looks at your cells, the hydration, your intracellular and your extracellular fluid. It's still not perfect. I think that test can also measure something called a phase angle of your cells, which is more the health of your cell. That might be a little bit better. The jury's still out on that. So there's not perfect. I think there are little things that you can look at. You know, once again, I'm a clinician, so I'm going to give some very easy, basic things that we should be looking at. Um, You want to look at the color of your urine. You know, it should be a straw color. It shouldn't be orange or brown Hmm. or even clear. We want it to have a nice, light, straw-colored urine. We're meant to be getting up and peeing every two or three hours, If you're not doing that, I mean, I know there's times I'll sit in my office for 10 hours straight, not go to the bathroom once all day. That's a problem. You want to look at symptoms. If you're thirsty, you're already long gone. You know, (laughs) we should have took care of that hydration before you were thirsty. What else? Constipation, fatigue. We think that this afternoon fatigue or brain fog is probably the first sign that you're dehydrated. And we like to say that, you know, my co-author and I, we like to say that before you reach for sugar, try hydrating better. You know, we always think, oh, my blood sugar's dropping. Most likely it's not that. Most likely it's hydration first. So those are some things we can look at. We have some principles. Desert people certainly don't hydrate by drinking eight glasses of water a day. (laughs) Um, But what they do do is they front load their water. So by waking up and front loading your water, drinking, we like to say 16 ounces. So a, a lot of water first thing in the morning, add some electrolytes by using real salt or electrolyte. There's some good electrolyte products out there. There's some bad ones too, but some good ones. And maybe a little lemon for some minerals. So front loading your water, Some other things you can do is drinking a glass of water before every meal. And that's a little controversial. I always get a little pushback on that because people are like, we're told never to eat with drink while you're eating. But I think when you get that fluid in before your meal, there's actually some good research based on that. People who are dieting will lose five more pounds than people who aren't doing that. But that's one way to get extra fluid in. And then a big one, and it's going to sound, a lot of the stuff that we do sounds so instinctual and maybe even commonplace, and that's a smoothie a day, a green smoothie a day, you know, is so powerful in how it can heal us. A green smoothie is defined as a blended vegetable, so blended greens and water blend them up and you can add other things to them. Like if you want to add chia or coconut milk or something, coconut water, it doesn't, you know, you can make, it's not an ice cream smoothie, meaning like milk and fruit, (laughs) but it's greens first with water. And then you can do some sweetness with either a fruit or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You say drink for maximum absorption, which is that 16 ounces of water with a pinch of sea salt and a squeeze of lemon when you wake up and then also that green smoothie a day. And it seems like just those two things you call the quench plan, like a five day plan. And if you were to start with just those two things, you think that people would feel radically different inside of a week, right? 
or a few days. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's really quick. And I have to be honest, even my healthy patients, my yogis, my athletes, they notice a difference. People are not doing, you know, we, but it has to be done day in and day out. Really look at hydration first. Are you feeling hydrated? Are you doing all the things? Are you getting up to pee? You know, are you doing all these things to, are you drinking enough? And it's not saying not drinking any water, but some water, lots of greens, eating non-processed foods. You know, the plan is really a plan to get people to just eat cleanly, eating non-processed foods. So we do give some meal ideas in there, getting the sugar out of your diet, getting the processed foods out. Yeah. Yes. And this getting your water from plants, fruits, and vegetables thing is probably the most important point. As you mentioned with your co-author looking at desert cultures, they're breaking open plants like aloe or chia seeds, and they're getting their hydration from the plants themselves because there isn't a lot of water available. And then you study these people and find out they're actually quite healthy compared to our modern Western ways. And I just think this is so interesting because we hear about structured water and a lot of people think, okay, well, how do I get a glass of that? And it's just the wrong way to think about it because nature knows how to generate this easy structured gel phase water happens inside the plants. And it's why places like the Gerson Institute are treating cancer with green smoothies. I mean, healthy cell water charged by sunlight. It seems more and more like a super medicine that armors us up against almost anything. But when I first heard about the Gerson Institute, which is in Mexico, just outside of San Diego, I think they have a satellite office here, but they're kind of in that realm where uh, the United States has kind of kicked them out from doing their thing. And I just thought, how could you heal something like cancer, something so severe with a smoothie? But it seems like the, the key to understanding that is the structured water. I think so too. And, you know, our bodies are amazing, amazing machines. You give what it needs to do its job. It does it better than any medication, any, anything that we have out there. And we're still learning that. That's what's mind blowing to me. You know, we're still, I'm still, there was a few things in the book that we talk about that so it sounds, once again, it sounds so simple, a smoothie, like, you know, most of your people already know that, but we're, we're giving you the background as to why. And I think it's fascinating and hopefully we can get more people to start doing it. I love that documentary. What's the one about the fat, sick and nearly dead? Mm. Did you ever see that one? Yes, I have. Good one. Yeah, that was such a good one. I mean, basically all he did was drink green smoothies yeah. for a few months and changed his life. And I can't tell you how many people I've asked, you know, to start with that. Sometimes, you know, I see sick patients. I see a lot of chronic illness. I really see sick patients. So I always try to bring it back to those people. And I hope that some of those people are listening to you Mm -hmm. and this podcast. You know, that's really what we're looking for. But when I see these really sick people, sometimes it's so overwhelming. Like I can't take literally 90 pills a day or su- even supplements, even, you know, sometimes what I do. So start here. Let's start here. Let's just start by saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's just make it simple for people. And once that stone starts to turn and roll in the right direction, then they can add things on. But yeah, for the chronically ill people, that's an incredible step. And even for the really healthy people, now you understand why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And You mentioned this pinch of sea salt in our water, and I think that's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people. Of course, we know there's a huge difference between Himalayan salt or sea salt and 
typical table salt. It's not the same thing at all, like kind of the difference between sugar that's inside fruits and vegetables versus conventional processed sugar. But you refer to that as an electrolyte. What can you tell us about why that pinch of sea salt in a glass of water is useful? What is it doing for us? Yeah. So I just want to differentiate something as well, because I'm starting to really rethink the whole sea salt thing. Ah. (laughs) And only from the case of plastics in our sea salt. Mm. And yeah, it's uh, yet another reason why we have to get plastic out of our lives. It's tainted. Most sea salt, there's been some, a lot of information that has come out recently. And, you know, it's just something for us to think about the sea salt. So I really like, there's a product literally called real salt or the Himalayan pink salt. The sea salt, I think we need to start looking at a little more closely and see about the plastic problems with it. Mm. I know. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's a great point because so much of our environment is tainted. Even when we have the core ingredient and it has useful uses, it's still tainted in a lot of cases. But yeah, so if you can get the plastic-free salt, mainly, yeah, like you said, the Himalayan salt. Let's stay away from the ocean. Let's go to the mountains for pure salt. But why is the salt in there helpful from just a hydration perspective? Well, because it has an incredible range of minerals in it versus sodium chloride, which is table salt. There's not a lot in there. So the real salt has a full range of minerals that make the water more easily absorbed into our cells. We need it. It's from the electrolytes and more and minerals. Iodine, although you have to look and and see if there's iodine in it, sometimes you can get the real salt that is iodized. Mm. So that's the basic reason. It just has so many more minerals in it than table salt. Fair, fair. Yes, it's like I would think that water without salt would be better than with it, but I get what you're saying. And it is so scary how much we have to really focus in on every little thing because there's just so much manipulation out there and so much pollution. And of course, you write in the book about bottled water, which seems to be the only solution to our dirty water we've been given in my lifetime. And it's such a non-answer. And I even learned recently, you know, you can look at bottles that say BPA-free and you get a false sense of security, but there's more chemicals than just BPA. There's BPB, BPC, and D. There's about a dozen or more different chemicals that probably are still leaching into your water from a plastic made from oil. But because BPA is the only one that's gotten any attention, you can slap a BPA label on it and people equate that to, oh, this is perfectly fine for me. And that's not really true. No, no. We, it's the same of, so vaping nicotine, like that is going to turn out to be disastrous as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But nicotine, by the way, I'm not talking about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm worried about the vaping in general, to tell you the truth. I mean, I have yeah. a fondness for another substance I like to smoke and vaping has taken over that as well. And I'm a little concerned. I'm like, you know, I guess you guys will be the guinea pigs, but we'll see how this rolls out in a decade or two. Sure, it might be more convenient, you know, but (laughs) I'm skeptical. I really am. You already are hearing the term popcorn lung. And I don't know if that's even just isolated to the nicotine vapes. And some of those cartridges can swap in and out. I don't know. It's going to be a scary thing, a rude awakening in a generation or so. Yes, definitely. I just came from a conference, a Mindshare conference. It's actually a JJ Virgin's conference, and some really big heavy hitters were there, Dave Asprey and Mercola and lots of incredible people. And there was a booth there. 
and I'm blanking on the name. I literally just got back, so I haven't even gone through all my cards and information. They basically take spring water and box it and put it in a box with a little spout on it. And I was like, I love this. So great. Because we mentioned in the book about findaspring.com, which is basically, it will tell you springs near you, natural water springs that are near you. But honestly, I've never gone and take five gallon bottles and fill them up. That's sort of, that's big ask for somebody. (laughs) It is, it is. (laughs) But it's, you know, it's an idea. It's an idea worth sharing. And these people actually box the water in a really healthier way. Sure, sure. And I definitely think that's a great idea. It kind of always bothers me because I get pretty high quality water delivered, you know, in those big blue five gallon jugs. And it's like natural mineral spring water, but it's in this big plastic jug. And I'm like, well, they don't deliver it any other way. I don't know. I guess I'm doing better than some people, but I am still worried about that last component. How do we get it to the house in something other than plastic? Boxed water would be great, like the old milkman or glass, you know, bring it back. Yeah. I think about um, Mountain Valley Spring, that's like known as the real, the best water and they do sell it in different size glass bottles too, so that, you know, you can um, lift them easier. And I think that they deliver and they've created a whole network all over the States. Spring Mountain Valley. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Learn something every day. I mean, that's the point, right? Yeah. And this is a severe issue, dehydration. You mentioned low-grade chronic dehydration. Some estimates are as high as 75% of Americans would be in that camp. And I wanted to read this paragraph from the book because it's pretty powerful for anybody who's thinking, oh, big deal right about now. And you write, as little as 2% reduction in hydration leads to measurable cognitive loss. That is less than one liter of water loss just enough for your sensory capacities to diminish, apprehension diminishes, and appreciation is depressed. Life is less colorful, and that's your brain 2% dry. And that happens to most of us somewhere in our day. Often by 3 o'clock, we are floating in low-grade dehydration. By 9, we are sputtering near empty. Over and over, every day, throughout our lifetimes, we dry out. This accelerates aging every day. And when you put it that way, this is no small thing. That little amount can have just huge effects. And I don't think many of us are paying that close of attention. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I see it every single day in my patients. One of, you know, I, I always ask, do you think you're well hydrated? And even my healthy ones, when I talk to them about it and really, really have them make a few shifts, they notice a difference in their practices exercise practices in their life in the way that they feel during the day. And those are the healthy ones, you know? Mm. So yeah, it's affecting, I think it's even more than that. Unfortunately, there's no way to really measure that. And that's, can you believe that that's a controversial statement? (laughs) (laughs) It is, believe it or not, that 75% are chronic low-grade dehydration. There are people that just don't even think that that's controversial or that's that even is true, but I can tell you it absolutely is. And there's some good research that we lay out in the book of what that's doing to us. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that I already talked about, you know, low energy, the cognition, the constipation, but then even the aches and the pains and the headaches. I mean, everybody knows that, oh, a headache, I need, I'm dehydrated. But then the bigger things and the things that I think we lay out some pretty strong evidence are certain cancers it puts you at risk for, like colon cancer and bladder cancer, and even diabetes and even Alzheimer's. 
Yes. I was going to ask you exactly what are some of those more serious conditions that this mild dehydration can stack up to. And Alzheimer's is something that is just incredibly on my radar. I've had grandparents who had it. It seems quite scary. I smoke enough weed to be concerned about my memory. It's just a thing. But we don't change our habits. We just kind of look for other ways to worry about it. But that was really interesting to me because you say not only uh, fibromyalgia would be another one, but you say Alzheimer's is being kind of equated to almost a type 3 diabetes. What's the deal there? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not news and this is not, I mean, this is not a new information and it's not really that controversial. And, and most doctors and scientists now are really agreeing that uh, metabolically, Alzheimer's is a metabolic disease and it's, and blood sugar plays a huge role in uh, the formation or the the turning on the gene for Alzheimer's. So yeah, it's a very real thing that's not controversial at all. Wow. Yeah, this is the first I had heard of it, but any more information I can get on Alzheimer's, I'm always stacking it up, you know? You have to read David Perlmutter then. He is the neurologist who, uh, he wrote Grain Brain, and he's got a bunch. He has a new one out coming out called Brainwash. Yeah, very interesting. He really, he does it so eloquently, so much more eloquently than I could ever possibly <laughs> give it. Oh, <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yes, I know of Grain Brain. I would definitely add that to the list. There's a long list of awesome people doing awesome stuff. And of course, we're a bit familiar with Dr. Pollock's work, as we discussed, but you do write about some other water science and research going on that's related to his work, but also different. What is happening in the science of structured water that is exciting you? Uh, so, you know, it's really interesting. There's a lot. And like I said, this is what I'm going to come back to you after my conference in October. Mm -hmm. There is a, at this Mindshare conference, there was a booth with a guy. He works with Pollock. He's actually in Seattle with Dr. Pollock, has created a device where you inhale structured water. So it creates the structured water. You have to keep it very close to you and you're inhaling the particles of structured water. And, you know, he believes that you can't drink structured water in a glass because it's, it doesn't last that long. Mm. Once it hits the glass, the easy, maybe even start to creating along the sides of the glass. It's hard. You know, I think the science is still also new of how, how do we get this structured water into our cells better? And, there's people who are doing these like jewels or gemstones, putting them in water that's creating structured water. I think once again, the science is so new, but you know, from a clinical standpoint, I have patients that are using these structured water devices, the same as even alkalinized water, uh, which is a completely different thing. There is no science around the alkalinized water stuff. And logically, when you think about how the, the alkalinized water, as soon as it hits your stomach, it's no longer alkaline, right? Mm. But, you know, I have patients that swear by it. So I don't have, you know, once again, that science is so new and so not out there. But the structured water, this inhaled structured water was something that was really fascinating to me and really interesting. And they have, it's backed by some clinical research. And I can't wait to meet him again. And he's going to be in Germany to really sort of pick his brain because it was, you know, he started to talk to me and I was like blown away. Nice. <laughs> Overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Inhaling it sounds really interesting. I can get on board with that. Yeah. And 
This was also in your book that I thought was great, but a research group from Cornell University has found that water forms a, quote, spine of hydration around DNA. The lead author of the study says, new results give us very strong support to a picture where water at room temperature can't decide which of the two forms it should be in, high or low density, which results in local fluctuations between the two. Water is not a complicated liquid, but rather two simple liquids with a complicated relationship. I mean, wow, that's just such an interesting way to put it. Right. So my thoughts of why we put that in there is because, once again, not every scientist agrees with Dr. Pollock about the H3O2. So let's delve into that for a second. Sure. Dr. Pollock talks about the way that water layer upon each other or structures upon each other. And, and it's in that layering, he came up with an equation, like when you added them up, that it actually turns into H3O2 as opposed to H2O. And it's because of those electrons and how they're shared, because there's pulls, there's energetic pulls amongst these molecules. So when they layer, they share electrons, and it becomes H3O2. Not everybody agrees with that. I have to say, it was the most logical thing that I've read. But the point in my putting that other article is that they all do agree that there is some other phase of water. So it is, it's fascinating and it's so interesting. And, and once again, we can get this structured water by eating more plants, Right. <laughs> to put it so I mean, simply. <laughs> yeah, it seems, it's definitely simple, but I always like the why behind stuff because it actually, I never discount the power of the mind. Like you mentioned alkaline water, if people think it's helping them, I mean, we know that the brain can do miraculous things when you have the power of belief. I mean, that's the placebo effect in a nutshell. So I think sometimes just learning the why actually helps to strengthen my mind to say, no, this is helping you. You know, now I've had a smoothie since reading your book and I definitely felt as if I was like Popeye doing a lot more for myself than just before. Cause I would just think, you know, is this helping me? Or I would doubt it more. And that science and all that data helps to reinforce the idea that, no, this is like, you know, superfood. And then that kind of informs the brain. And I just think it goes back and forth into actually strengthening it. The more you can align the things we know are good for the physical body with what your mind thinks is good for it. I love it. Yeah. And that whole placebo effect, it's something my whole career in integrative medicine, that was one of the big takeaways in my very first conference probably one of the teachers had said it, that, you know, integrative medicine doctors welcome the placebo effect mm -hmm. as opposed to other doctors push it away. Like, why? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. It is. And you mentioned your co-author Gina's studying of the Terra Humara tribe, the tribe that's covered in that well-known book, Born to Run. They run 50-mile marathons just for fun. Obviously, hydration is going to be important there. And they ferment corn beer and then put chia seeds in that. And then they take a small pouch of chia seeds for the road. And that's pretty unexpected, as you said. I guess what more can be said about chia seeds in general or their power? I mean, would you just put them in some water and let them let them load up that gel state around them? Or how should we use chia seeds? 
Yeah, so great question. Chia is the standout superfood in our book. (laughs) I love chia seeds. Although I have yet to see it, I had a little bit of a go between um, Dr. Mercola and myself about chia seeds because he's really into the lectins now. Lectins are a byproduct of certain beans and, and they do form in chia seeds as well if you don't soak them. When If you soak, that's why we're supposed to soak our beans overnight. It gets rid of those lectins and lectins can be re- really harmful. So I'm, I am thinking about that a little bit more. Aside from that, chia seeds yeah, you could put them in water. They don't. They don't have any taste. They, if anybody has ever made a chia pudding, they do. When you soak them, they form a. They literally form a gel around them. They get bigger and they suck up that water, and it's in that gel that's very hydrating. It holds on to hydration better for us. I love sweets. I love dessert. So I make chia puddings. It's the easiest thing. There's a thousand recipes online on how to do that. And it could be as simple as, you know, coconut milk with chia seeds and some blueberries and maybe a a little touch of honey to sweeten it. Or I like monk fruit, um, which is um, Lohan is another name of monk fruit. That's now my new favorite sweetener that, you know, has zero grams of sugar. It's very, very low glycemic. It doesn't affect your blood sugar. So that's another way. You could just throw them in your smoothies, let them sit for 15 minutes for them to gel up a little bit. Yeah, they're great. And then not not only that, the omega-3s that they carry. So chia seeds are very rich in ALA or alpha-linolenic acid, which is our parent omega-3. It can help create DHA and EPA, which is our, our omega-3s from fish oil. And we need those. And I, I measure a lot of omega-3s in my practice. I actually do blood tests where we can measure those things. And almost everybody is deficient in ALA. And so chia seeds pack a huge punch of giving us that ALA in our diet. Interesting. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm out with friends. We go into a 7-Eleven and I'm looking in there and it's like, if I'm trying to drink a non-sugar beverage with no artificial sweeteners that isn't in a plastic bottle, there's almost nothing in this entire store I can drink. But, you know, if you go to some of the health food stores, there is a beverage called Mama Chia, and I can't necessarily vouch for it, but it is in a glass bottle, and it is chia seeds, basically. You drink it, and it's like drinking blended jello. It tastes pretty good. It's like, I mean, it's all chia seeds to the top, but that might be something that's good out there. Yeah, I've had it. I love it. I think it tastes really good. You know what? I have to be honest, though. I mean, I've had it a, a handful of times. I have to look and see. I've never really looked at the ingredients. Right. I just, I love the glass bottle. I love the taste of it. So I would want to go back and, which I will do. <laughs> oh, yeah. They got some of the components that at a cursory glance, it's like, that might be good. But of course, that always becomes the problem, too, at these health shows is I'll have listeners commenting, you know, give me exactly what to buy. Tell me exactly what to do. And it's like, well, A lot of these guests, they have these practices. This is their bread and butter. They don't want to be endorsing certain products because they're not involved with those products. Products can change their ingredients. You you never really know. So it's a very delicate thing to recommend specific products. Some could even say it's a conflict of interest. So I know it's frustrating to people, but we're trying to give you the tools to help yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're in that kind of a situation, I like bubbly, sparkling water. So Pellegrino is my go-to <laughs> and I have n- no issues. I stand behind them. I have no financial <laughs> gain from that. I wish I did, but I don't. Right on. And so we mentioned this, Tara, 
Humara tribe that your co-author has studied. Are there other things on the anthropology side that you find interesting? Because I always find that it's surprising. I didn't realize when I started the show that so often in very different subjects, we would look at indigenous cultures and find that, wow, their knowledge is actually quite deep. And it's pretty unfortunate the way we consider them uncivilized or savages. And really their knowledge is quite more robust than we give them credit for. Are there other things you've seen Gina look at through her anthropology practice that tie into this at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I told her too. I was like, God, if I had to do it all over, I would have done my undergrad in anthropology. I wish I had. Mm. I find it fascinating and so interesting. And I I envision at some day I'm going to travel the world and really look at and speak to indigenous healers. And really, that's my dream Mm. to really delve in and speak to them because I think there's so much knowledge, untapped knowledge and Mostly doctors and scientists are so close-minded to it, but these are things that have been, I mean, take acupuncture. Gosh, it's been practiced for so many years, and only now is it finally gaining an acceptance. But yes, I like the story she tells about the Bedouins, why they wear dark hooded capes and coats, because it creates a humidity tent in the deserts. Yes. You know, that. so interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was a good one. Did you read any that you want to point out? Well, that was definitely one I was going to mention because we've all seen people walking in the desert with black cloth over their head and often covering the mouth and nose. And you think, yeah, I guess that does make sense that it creates a hydration pocket that's right over your breathing and you're probably taking in good moisture that way. It's weird how they do these things that, you know, you'd think I would never do that walking around Six flags on a hot day, but it's actually very useful for you. And people learn these things in their environment. They sometimes don't always know the nitty gritty science behind it. They're, they're just like, look, we've been doing this for generations and it just works. Yeah. Amazing. And on the subject of acupuncture, another thing that's big in this book is movement or really fascia. It's a fairly, I think, recent discovery. At least I only heard about it recently, but Fascia is like a whole nother system of the body, and it also ties into this structured water stuff, right? Well, we tie it in. This is sort of the big thing that I think is a, was also another aha moment for me. Yeah, fascia is this connective tissue webbing that surrounds every cell, every organ in our body. And a few years back, gosh, probably maybe seven years ago now, there was a very brilliant French I think he was a plastic surgeon, actually, Dr. Guimberto, had decided to put a camera under the skin of a living person to look at fascia, which is interesting because before that, fascia had, all, had never really been studied. As a medical student, as scientists, when we look at cadavers, we break through the skin, we cut away everything, and it's the dried, desiccated fascia, that we throw it away and then get right to the organ or the vessel, or the whatever it may be. So it's the first time that anybody really ever looked at living fascia. And it's beautiful, and it's incredible to see the video footage that he took of it. But what we realize, and this was the mind-blowing part, is that fascia is a delivery system of hydration, much like a hydraulic pump. And before that, we've only ever thought that hydration gets moved via blood and lymph. And at the very tiniest of vessels through osmosis, then, does water get leaked out at the very end. And 
the fascia, you see it. I mean, you could you could physically see it. So um, when we bob our head up and down or say yes and no with our head, we're creating fluid in and out of our brains like a hydraulic pump. It's squeezing in and out. And we like to say yet another reason why sitting is the new smoking. You're, you're squelching delivery of hydration to your periphery. So we have to get up and move because movement is another, it's a hydrating act. Yes, yes. And obviously you have a lot of little micro movements in the book with diagrams that are easy to see. They don't translate to audio all that well, but just in principle, the idea of moving around. I mean, I guess you could even say that that could be a contributor to why yoga is so powerful for so many people. I mean, it's just stretching and moving your body and making sure that all that water can move throughout it. Yeah. Twisting is a micro movement. Twist your whole body. You know, I thought about this recently and it's sort of sad, but now with the new cameras in, in the front of your car that show you what's behind you, we no longer even move our head to look behind us to move our car out of the driveway. You know, mm. a lot of people complain of that movement, but it's a good, it's such a good movement to do. You're really sort of moving and twisting. So the micro movements we created, they're just they're just simple movements. They're just yeah, bending and twisting and turning and in addition to whatever exercise you do, we need to move all our joints and all our extremities and yeah. Mhm. And one more element I wanted to try to squeeze in here before we start wrapping it up is sunlight or red light or infrared light or sauna. All these things seem to kind of speak to the same mechanisms, but how important and beneficial are these things in your opinion? Incredibly important. And we are just touching the surface of how important sunlight is, infrared, near-infrared, and far-infrared light, saunas, those kind of things. So it's also based on Dr. Pollock's work. It is, and then some new science that comes out, it is light that creates more of this structured water, or he calls it easy water, Dr. Pollock, Gerald Pollock does, in our body. And even light that we don't see, it aids in hydration. But there was even recently an article, I don't think this one made it into the book, it might have been after the book was published, maybe it did, no, I think it did, that we are much more like plants than we ever imagined, in the sense that we make energy from greens, chlorophyll, sunlight, and water. So we need those three things to make energy. And that's photosynthesis. Right. <laughs> and yeah, it's so fascinating that we need these things to make energy. And if we're, um, we're not exposing and let alone the vitamin D stuff, I mean, that's big with for the sunlight. But yeah, light sunlight makes more structured water in our cells. And it's super, super important. Yeah, it seems like mammals are a lot more plant like than we initially thought. And how crazy is that? Like, it is. It's very I, crazy. <laughs> I know. Who knew? <laughs> but, you know, it, it makes sense if the sun is what's is what the plants are using for fuel and they're making these fruits full of structured water. It makes sense that you need to get any biological being out into the sun to have the light do its thing and structure that water. It also... To bring it back to the meat we eat, it's probably why cows should be out in a pasture and not cooped up in some covered tin little warehouse thing like they are. Hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the, just the greens thing, you know, so, so those who don't like vegetables, like you are doing damage to your body. 
you need to eat greens and that chlorophyll is not just a supplement. Chlorophyll is what makes vegetables green. You know, so your kale and your spinach, you have to figure out a way if you don't like veggies to get that into your diet and smoothies are the easiest way to do it. Like you don't even taste it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And this is a really extreme thing that I figured I'd just ask you about because it's hard for me to even believe, but I've interviewed people who say they do it, but have you heard about the breatharians out there? These people who say that they, for a period of time, sometimes years, don't eat and they just, they stand in the sun at sunrise and sunset and it just seems like impossible. But there's a couple of documentaries on it. Of course, I'm not going to monitor someone for a year to see if they (laughs) snuck a Twinkie or something, but... There's a movement of people out there called breatharians that are saying that they're getting all their energy from the sun. And they don't eat food at all. That's what they're saying. Some say Do they, they drink don't drink. Water? Some say wow. they don't. Yeah, that's beyond my my <laughs> my <laughs> my mind is blown. I have no idea. I can't even begin to imagine. It's a weird thing, but um I figured I would at least bring it up because on the subject of how much mammals seem to be like plants and we have this weird photosynthetic type of process. There's people taking that to the extreme, but I'm still skeptical. Well, it, that's me too. If I'm anything, I'm open-minded to, I, I like, you better believe I'm going to go look that up after we hang up. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, I definitely had a good time. I appreciate all the work you do and just the time you've taken to talk to us today. I think you've done a great job taking some cutting edge science of water and breaking it down for real world application We do a lot of shows that touch on alternative medicine and treatment protocols that almost seem too good to be true, but this science of structured water and the importance of sunlight, of being in nature, these are the keys to understanding why some of the simplest things have the most dramatic results. And before we go, do tell the people about anything else you're working on, the things offered on your website or where they can follow you. You definitely put up a lot of great stuff on Instagram. Oh, thank you. So I'm basically just working on, I'm in private practice in New York City. My website is www.drdanacohen.com. You can find links to Instagram and Facebook there. And yeah, I, I have my book Quench and it's available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And that's really what I'm doing. I'm, I'm focusing on on seeing patients and speaking, that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, you do have a lot of case studies in the book that just show time and time again that these protocols definitely work. And I guess I would ask you, I mean, it's going to be nice if we can connect again after that conference, but has there been any other research that you've come across since the book came out that you wish you could have got in there? You know, and I'll let you know, I'll let you know after I go to the the meeting that that whole inhaled um, easy water, structured water thing was fascinating to me. And the clinical studies that have gone on with that the big things that come to mind are the things that we just talked about, that we are more like plants with photosynthesis. Yeah, I can't think of anything that's sort of mind-blowing right now, but I will fill you in. Sure thing. Yeah, no worries. It's changing all the time. This is new science. It's exciting. And uh, this conference, I'm sure, is going to be pretty awesome. So we will talk then. And this has been really insightful. Thanks again. Keep doing what you do and take care out there. Thank you, Greg. I had a great time. Thank you so much. All right, guys, how about that? Dr. Dana Cohen, bringing the heat, bringing the quench plan, and bring in another reason to respect your local moisture farmers. (laughs) 
It's simple. Eat your fruits and vegetables. You've heard this all your life, but now you know why. I do understand if some people think this is a little broad or basic or light for a full THC, or just as far as general health advice goes, because that's true. It's not very complicated, but I've just been so interested in the work of Dr. Pollock that I wanted to hear from someone else who is also inspired by his work, more knowledgeable than me, and someone who is applying all that stuff to a health and wellness practice. Because that's not exactly Dr. Pollock's focus area. And I mentioned that this was also the first show I booked through Instagram, and that's absolutely true. I got a message from Dr. Dana that she liked that show, and she sent me her book, and here we are. I actually tend to like following up with guests who compliment me on an episode, not because I'm susceptible to any kind of flattery, but because they kind of get what we're doing here. They've heard an intro before, they've heard a completed show, they know the context and the little nuances and the details about my approach versus other approaches. Not a huge deal, but I just feel like, okay, we're going to get in the groove a little bit easier because you've heard a THC episode before. But Instagram, it's funny because of all the social media accounts I have, Instagram definitely suffers the worst. I think I've only had Instagram for a little over a year. Maybe I've never mentioned it on the show, but I got it because Sam Tripoli is such a fan of it. And I told him I didn't have the energy to manage another social media account. And he made a very good point that I should at least lock down the Higher Side Chats username while it was still available. And that was great advice because look at me now. Booking guests straight out of Gramtown. So maybe it is largely simple advice, but I think it's nice to have a reminder why corporate food is just so different and so bad for you. It's dry. It's empty. You know, cut open an orange with a new appreciation for that juice inside. The whole thing even looks structured. And another reason we did this is because that was a question I got a lot after the Dr. Pollock show. Well, what water should I drink? How can I get more easy water in my glass? And that's the wrong approach. It's all about those fruits and vegetables. And I like the simple but bold claims of the quench plan. Drink a glass of water with a pinch of high-quality salt and a little lemon in the morning. Have a green smoothie. And do that every day for five days. And you will just feel better. We're dehydrated because a cooked-to-death corporate burger and fried potatoes and a Pepsi is not a meal. It's not giving you good water content anywhere. I love French fries, but they're like a barren wasteland in terms of water content. And I do think we know people who drink too much water, or they think that their health is fine, their diet is fine because they're chugging eight glasses a day. I think it's important to note that while their mind is in the right place, they're trying to do better, there's probably a simpler and more effective answer. And I'll tell you, if you go to the natural grocery store around, you look for those Mama Chia drinks. I think they are pretty great. Low sugar. They even have one with injected caffeine. 
and they taste like drinking Jello. I'm a big fan of those drinks and just Dr. Dana's advice overall. I have felt a difference after kind of adopting the quench plan for a week or so. I'm not even religious about it, but I definitely still feel a bit better. I'm just slow to adopt. Sometimes even if I know something is good for me, I really need to be beat over the head with it as to why before I take the advice. Meditation, kind of the same way. It shows like Jim Elvidge and Nassim Haramine that help me to put in that extra effort and make sure that I make room for meditation in the day because its benefits have been drilled into my head over and over again. You can also look for healthier electrolyte beverages that don't have those Gatorade levels of sugar, which was part of the Plus Show, her recipe for a homemade healthy sports drink. But I'm into it, and I'm a little jealous that she's going to the water conference. That's where she's going to run into people like Mark LeClaire and his work on cavitation bubbles or nanobubbles and the infinite energy potential in the entangled universe. Watch some of those presentations from previous years and you'll get why I have this weird water obsession now. Water and light, and you'll feel all right. But there were little things in Dr. Dana's book that really make you think about the Western habits we have and how we typically try to buy some artificial thing to mask the issues that come from our lifestyles, like skin creams or anti-aging creams. And as she says, inner hydration is better for your skin than any cream or oil. Screw Noxzema. Eat a damn plum, lady. You know? <laughs> I'm messing around. But sometimes we worry about a superficial or cosmetic problem, and we buy stuff for it, and we never think we could look or feel better just by fixing our diet, staying at the proper hydration level, and leaving all that other stuff on the target shelf. I'm glad we got to fold in a little fat talk, too. It's pretty impressive that she worked under Dr. Adkins, and that little section helped round out our two hours a bit better for sure, and they are related topics. They have a synergy between them. And I thought another great thing about the book was the contributions from her anthropologist co-author, just add it all to the list of areas where we see a wisdom in indigenous cultures that we don't seem to respect nearly enough. I mean, have you seen Naked and Afraid? Try to last three days outside and not want to just end it all. We look down on them for not having a smartphone, but we don't even know how to keep ourselves alive for a week without suckling at the teat of our precious, insulated society. Just something I find interesting. But good stuff. It's nice to hear that structured water is becoming more of a field and that there are different takes out there, different opinions. Like the quote about water being not one complex liquid, but two simple liquids with a complex relationship. That's something I'll be mulling over for a while. So what do we learn, kids? Again and again, stick with nature. It's done a much better job of feeding the world than Monsanto ever could. But if you only heard the first hour today, of course you missed a lot of added details and subject matter in the second hour that we have for Plus subscribers. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com. It's all we ask. 
You get an extra hour of all of our shows, bonus content, joint sessions like we had last night where we open up the THC stage to the audience. Those are fun. But it's really the extra hours of the main show or the THC music covers that people are after. In this Plus episode, we talked about beating fatigue specifically with optimum hydration, the idea that concussions might actually be a modern phenomenon brought on by lower brain resilience, and then a real sweet spot, structured water, electromagnetic systems of the body, and cell phones, how to optimize a keto diet, moisture-stealing factors of our modern way of life, the idea that jet lag might mainly be severe hydration. And something I needed to hear, cooking oils and smoking temperature. It seems that even when we try to do right by cooking at home, we could be killing ourselves by not knowing basic cooking 101. That's me. And then we laid out the fruits and vegetables with the highest structured water content. All good, valuable information. But the cell phones and the electromagnetic system of the body and some of those hydration-stealing factors of Western life should intrigue this audience for sure. And in higher side news, it seems like 90% of the issues with the new site transition are over. Some people have reported being signed out a few times on their podcasting apps. Well, that's going to happen until the developers are completely done working, maybe another week. But you can pull up the HiresideChats.com in a browser, download or play any shows from there. And of course, we're not going to stop working on these things until they're 100%. I'm a podcast listener. I want to know that my listeners who are paid can simply put in their username and password on Podcast Addict or the podcasting app. And that's all they got to do. That's the standard and we will get there. I also saw that a lot of you who do have those old accounts with the billing sync issue, a lot of you have canceled and re-signed up, and I do appreciate that. It makes my job easier. It gets you back in the game faster and with a better long-term solution. Of course, you can cancel now and then wait until that time is up before you sign up again. No need to do it right away. Just wait till the access is revoked and then sign up. But I'm glad most of the kinks have been straightened out. And I think we have a really, really nice setup going forward. And all that said, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with me during the transition. I'm trying to bring you the heat. Pick up Dr. Dana Cohen's book, Quench, if you want to dig further or follow her on Instagram. And follow me too. I need to get those numbers up so people realize we do have a good-sized audience. Because you know, it's all about perception. Or at least perception that gets people in the door. Plus, I post a lot of pictures of my cats, and that's why we're all online, right? Anyway, stay hydrated, people, and have a good one. I've done my part. Your move, dry guys, dehydrated humans, and engineers of our moisture-stealing society. Your fucking move. Well, I wonder what it's like to be a rainmaker. It's like to know that I made the rain I saw it in boxes with little yellow tags on everyone And you can come and see them when I'm done When I'm done 
Let's be a superhero I wonder where I'd go if I could fly around downtown, yeah From some other planet I'd get this funky high on the yellow sun Boy, I bet my friends Change it all.